We are in the midst of a series of lessons entitled Traces of a Trusting Heart. This entire series is built on the timeless truth that trust is the key to all relationships. Trust is the foundation upon which a relationship is built. It is the glue that holds a relationship together. It is the atmosphere in which a relationship breathes. It is the soil in which a relationship grows. Without trust, a relationship simply will not survive. That's true not only in our horizontal relationships with each other, it is also true in our vertical relationship with God. Trust is the key. Speaking of our relationship with God, we have discovered that trust is, in fact, a two-way street. In our first lesson, trust, the mark of God's character, we answered the question, can I trust God? In our second lesson, trust the mark of our character, we answer the question, can God trust me? Today and next Sunday, in our third and fourth lessons, I want us to take a closer look at trust the measure of our character. Specifically, I want us to carefully and prayerfully measure the level of our trustworthiness as managers of all that God has entrusted to us. When it comes to trust in our relationships with God, does our trust measure up to some of the most basic, timeless, and practical truths about stewardship that are found in the Bible? So using the acrostic trust, T-R-U-S-T, let's begin with the first T, which is test my trustworthiness to God. Now, I asked you to open your Bible to Psalm 139, so follow along as I read verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, last Sunday, I... uh, distributed a self-evaluation exercise, a little homework assignment for us to complete one-on-one with God in order to test our trustworthiness in seven specific areas of our lives. Again, I want to reemphasize that I believe that this is where the measure of our character begins. We must carefully and continually be in the process of testing our trustworthiness to God. I mean, how can we know whether or not we measure up unless we stop, look, and listen? Unless we take the time out of our busy lives to stop and to ask God to help us to take an in-depth look into our hearts and lives and then to listen with open ears and open hearts to whatever God may say. I urge you that if you have not yet completed this self-evaluation exercise, to carve out some time to get alone with God and make the effort to measure your trust in these seven areas. Extra copies of this are available on the lobby table as you leave this morning. And so the T is test my trustworthiness to God. The R 
is recognize God as my source. As we saw last week, once again, Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18 reminds us, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Simply put, God is the source of of all we have and all we are in life. Our well-being, weak works, wisdom, words, witness, and wealth, those seven areas that we are measuring in that self-evaluation exercise, and everything else in life comes from the Lord. It's said that when Teddy Roosevelt was president, he made it a habit every night before bed to walk outside and look up at the moon and the stars, and he would say, this large galaxy is the Milky Way. It consists of a hundred billion suns, yet it is the only one of a hundred billion galaxies. And then he would grin and say, now I think I'm small enough. Let's go to bed. (laughs) The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I look up into the night skies and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have made, I cannot understand how you can bother with mere puny man to pay any attention to him. See, sometimes we lose that perspective, and we must not lose that perspective. The universe does not revolve around me. (laughs) The universe doesn't revolve around you. We are nothing without God. Everything revolves around Him. He is, in fact, the source of all. And so at the risk of sounding like I'm a broken record, let me say it one more time. God is the owner entrusting everything he owns to me. Psalm 24 verse 1 puts it this way, The world and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. The earth and all who live on it are His. And then I am the manager, being accountable to Him for everything that He's entrusted to me. First Peter 4 and verse 5 reminds us, One day everyone will have to give an account to the one who is destined to judge the living and the dead. So then, God is the owner. I am the manager. I am accountable to Him for everything He has entrusted to me. And God is counting on me to be a faithful steward of all that He has entrusted to my care. And so the R is recognize God as my source. Which brings us to the U. The U means understand the biblical principles of stewardship. If we're going to get this, uh, it is necessary for me, it is necessary for you to understand the biblical principles of stewardship. And here's where I really want us to kind of camp out, if you will, in these final two lessons. I've searched the Scriptures for years, and over the years I've discovered a number of what I would call timeless 
principles about stewardship, the management of what God has entrusted to our care. And so I've chosen 12 of them. We'll look at six of them today, and then we'll pick up the other six next Sunday in part two of Trust the Measure of Our Character. Twelve practical principles of stewardship. As we work our way through these timeless truths, I want you to ask yourself, how does my trustworthiness measure up to these God-given standards? Principle number one is maturity, not money. Maturity, not money. We must begin here. We must understand that all of this talk about management, everything the Bible teaches about stewardship, it's not about my money. It is about my maturity. And here's the question. Do I realize that faithful stewardship produces spiritual growth? In his book, Stewardship, Timothy Johnson writes, Some say, dedicate the heart and the money will follow. But our Lord put it the other way around. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is dedicated, your heart will be dedicated. If it is not, it simply won't. It is as simple as that. Now, I don't think that any of us would disagree that as we grow spiritually, we will give more sacrificially. However, Jesus taught just the opposite of that. As we give more sacrificially, we will in fact grow spiritually. As we practice the discipline of giving away our time and our skills and our gifts and our money, even our very lives, the more we give away, the result will be maturity. I like the way Paul put it in Philippians 4 and verse 17. Let's read this one out loud together. Though I appreciate the gifts, what makes me the happiest is the well-earned reward you will have because of your giving. (laughs) I like that. Again, this is not about money. It is about maturity. Every time that I teach on the management of our God-given resources, especially the giving away of our time, our gifts and abilities, our money, our very lives, what delights me the most is knowing that those of you who make such commitments will receive incredible blessings from the Lord and will experience significant spiritual growth in your relationship with Him. And so principle number one is maturity, not money. Number two is love, not duty. Principle number two is love, not duty. Here's the question. Is my stewardship motivated by unconditional love for God and others? Why do we give sacrificially of our time, talent, and treasures? Because it's demanded of us? No. Because it's our duty and obligation to do so? No. Because the pastor keeps teaching and preaching on it and we're feeling guilty? No. Herein is the true motive for our giving, our love for God and our love for others. John 3.16 tells us God loved the people of this world so much that He what? 
He gave. Yeah, don't miss that word, gave. He gave His only Son. What motivated God to give? Love. And the same is true in our giving. 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18 states it like this. We know what real love is from Christ's example in dying for us. And so we also ought to lay down our lives. But if someone who's supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live well and sees another in need and won't help them, how can God's love be within them? Let us stop just saying we love people. Let's really love them and show it by our actions. So principle number two is love, not duty. Number three, today. Not tomorrow. Principle number three is today, not tomorrow. Here's the question. Am I being a faithful steward of the resources entrusted to me right now? Samuel Johnson once said, the person who waits to do a great deal of good at once will never do anything. (laughs) So true. Last Sunday we looked at Luke 16 and verse 10. Let's read it out loud together again today. Would you read it with me? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, one of the basic questions to measure our trustworthiness is what am I doing with what I have right now? We cannot put stewardship off until tomorrow. We must not delude ourselves with when and then thinking. When I get more, then I'll give more. No. The question is, what am I doing with what I have right now? Stewardship is never past, nor is it future. It is always present tense. So let me ask you, how long are you going to wait before you begin serving God and others according to your shape. Just when are you going to decide that you're going to be a better manager of your time and your schedule? How much longer before you take responsibility for your body, your fitness, and your health? Exactly when are you planning to get your finances under control? And when will you finally decide to begin to give God the first and the best part, the tithe of your income? See, life is full of good intentions. How many times have we said, I'm aiming to do such and such? Well, quit aiming and pull the trigger. (laughs) What are we waiting for? Principle number three is today, not tomorrow. Number four... Directed, not scattered. Directed, not scattered. Here's the question. Do I give first priority to stewardship in my local church? In other words, whether it's the giving of my time, the giving of my service, the giving of my money, the first and primary place for me to give should be the local church where I attend. Notice the instructions that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2 about the giving of our money. He said, On every Lord's Day, each of you should put something aside from what you have earned during the week and use it for the offering. The key phrase here maybe is that phrase, put something aside. The old King James uses this phrase, lay by him in store. 
J.W. McGarvey explains the word translated in store means literally put into the treasury. And he goes on to explain that the local church treasury, the storehouse as it is sometimes called in the Bible, is to be the primary place into which we deposit our donations. Malachi 3 and verse 10 states this principle even clearer. It says, bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse. Notice that, the treasury, the local church is what we would say for us. Now while we're on the subject of tithing, our money, let me see if I can answer a few of the more frequently asked questions on this subject. For instance, what is the difference between a tithe and an offering. I often get asked this question. The answer in simple terms is a tithe is 10% of my income and an offering is anything that is above my tithe. Personally, I believe the Bible teaches that the tithe, the first 10%, is to be given to the Lord through the local church, whereas the offering, anything over and above that 10%, may be given to missionaries and parachurch ministries, special projects and or charities. Here's another question. Isn't the tithe just an Old Testament law that doesn't apply to us today? And the answer very clearly in the Bible is no. In fact, the practice of tithing existed long before the Old Testament law was given. An example would be Abraham and Melchizedek back in Genesis 14.20. Indeed, the giving of the first 10% back to God is a timeless principle that precedes and supersedes the law of Moses. One more. On what source of income should I tithe? Well, generally speaking, I believe the Bible teaches any and all sources of income. Whether that would be salary, bonuses, investments, interest, dividends, unemployment, disability, tips, commissions, profits from sales such as the sale of a house, the sale of a car, a garage sale even. Any source of income... Again, the principle is 10% off of the top of any and all sources of income. And so principle number four is directed, not scattered. Number five, confidential, not showy. Principle number five is confidential, not showy. Here's the question, is my stewardship for the praise of others or the praise of of God. Don't miss Jesus' instructions in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. When you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. When you give, don't blow a loud horn. That's what the show-offs do in the meeting places and on the street corners because they're always looking for praise. When you give, don't let anyone know about it. Then your gift will be given in secret. Your Father knows what is done in secret, and He will reward you. This answers the question, why do I give? What's my real motive, my underlying reason for the giving of my time, my service, my money? Is it to be noticed by others, to receive the approval and applause of men, or is it to the praise of God and Him alone? So principle number five is confidential, not showy. Number six, planned, not impulsive. 
planned, not impulsive. Here's the question. Do I carefully and prayerfully plan my stewardship in advance? Read uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7 out loud with me. Let's read this together. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. New International Version translates that last phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. So how do we become cheerful givers? Because we plenty of time to think it over and make up our minds. Whenever possible, we carefully and prayerfully plan our giving in advance. Now for some people who have spiritual gifts like mercy or serving or giving, the sharing of their time and talents and skills and money might come naturally and spontaneously as an expression of their giftedness. However, for most of us... Giving generously and sacrificially is something that we must purposefully and intentionally decide to do. For instance, I must intentionally block out time in my busy schedule to volunteer for a ministry, such as the monthly food distribution on every third Thursday of the month. I don't just show up accidentally to that. I have to have that on my calendar or I won't remember it's happening. You know what I'm saying? Same with any kind of service opportunity. I must prayerfully pray for the lost in my circle of influence and deliberately share my faith with them. That's not going to happen accidentally for most of us. I must discipline myself to look at my finances and decisively set aside money or write out a check to put in the offering bag on a Sunday morning. In other words, giving doesn't happen accidentally or impulsively. For most of us... We need to intentionally plan or purposefully decide to give out of the resources that God has entrusted to us. And the giving of our time, the giving of our service, the giving of our money, the giving of ourselves requires forethought and discipline. So principle number six is planned, not impulsive. Well, that's the first six out of 12 biblical principles of stewardship. Let me go through them one more time. Number one, maturity, not money. Do I realize that faithful stewardship produces spiritual growth? Number two, love, not duty. Is my stewardship motivated by unconditional love for God and for others? Number three, today, not tomorrow. Am I being a faithful steward of the resources entrusted to me right now? Number four, directed, not scattered. Do I give first priority to stewardship in my local church? Number five, confidential, not showy. Is my stewardship for the praise of others or for the praise of God? Number six, planned, not impulsive. Do I carefully and prayerfully plan my stewardship in advance? Now we'll pick it up right there next week. Traces of a trusting heart. Today we've looked at trust, the measure of our character. We'll pick it up right there with the seventh 
principle next Sunday, and we'll finish this acrostic, T-R-U-S-T, in part two of this final lesson in this series. Let's pray together. (coughs) Thank you, Lord, for the practical aspect of your word. You have principles that are timeless, principles that are universal, and these are some of those very ones that can be applied to our lives in very practical ways. It is our desire that we would be found faithful in our stewardship. That with all the time that you have entrusted to us, all of the talents and gifts and abilities, skills that we have, with uh, everything in our lives that you have given to us, God, we know that even with our money, (laughs) it is a measure of our trustworthiness before you. So I pray, O Lord, that you would... uh, you would just um, help us to be found faithful, applying these very principles to our stewardship of life. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.